0: I'm going to be continuing our sermon series tonight um somewhere in the psalms uh, by speaking about one of my favorites which is psalm 139 uh, but before we dive into the psalm together i thought i would tell you a little story about something that happened to me when i was about seven which is a bit of a famous story in my family um so you know how every year at school you have picture day which is quite fun you get to miss a couple of lessons And it's quite standard. You come in, sit down, smile, out the door. Uh, This one was unremarkable, just like any other. Um, And my mum's not really one usually to order the formal photos, so she didn't. Uh, And then three weeks later, we get this mysterious package from the photography company through the post. And we're like, oh, this is weird. We didn't order this. We didn't pay for this. Why have they sent this to us? So we all gather around, and uh, this is the picture. So I hope you can see, somehow, the photographer had managed to capture the fraction of a second when my face is entirely still and my eyes entirely closed, like a little sleeping angel. Um, And this is probably the most peaceful I've ever looked in my whole life. Um, And we found out that the reason that we'd been sent this massive A4 print for free was basically an apology from the company. And uh, at the bottom of the photo, there's a little sticker, and it reads... This photograph is not suitable for a package. Please accept this print at no charge. (laughs) Which is a little bit like saying, have this massive free photo of your disappointing child. (laughs) (laughs) So even though my mum, as I said, isn't usually one for a formal photo, she actually really likes this one. Um, That story had nothing to do with my talk, but I hope you feel like you know me a bit better now. So yeah, back to the psalms. So the psalms are a collection of of 150 poems written by God's people in order to be sung as songs of praises to God. Psalm 139 was written by David, king of Israel, around 1000 BC. And we believe that he wrote about half of these psalms. And Psalm 139 is probably one of the best known and cherished. So the verse which says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a very familiar verse to lots of you. And I've noticed that this verse is often splashed around as a bit of an inspirational quote. It's like a, a feel-good feel quote that we often use um, to mean, even if no one else thinks so, at least God thinks I'm wonderful. This verse is therefore often used within Christian culture to promote attitudes like body positivity and self-esteem. And while this isn't wrong, I think that it does somewhat miss the point. The mistake that we often make is to make the Bible all about us. But this verse and this psalm as a whole is not about how wonderful we are. It's about how wonderful God is. I'll say that again. This verse and this psalm as a whole is not about how wonderful we are. It's about how wonderful God is. And when you consider the nature of God... Are you filled with wonder? Are you filled with awe? And most of the time, I'm not, because most of the time, I'm so preoccupied with my own circumstances that I find it really difficult to marvel at or acknowledge God. But if I make the Bible all about me rather than about God, he becomes small, he becomes vague, and ultimately a version of myself I start looking to scripture to give me comfort and to make me feel good rather than first and foremost to know this God. Uh, So tonight I'm going to talk about three truths which David, the author of this psalm, brings into sharp focus for us. And these truths should fill us with wonder rather than make us feel wonderful. So the first truth is that God knows me. The second is that God is with me. And the third is that God created me. So if you'd like to read along in your Bibles or on your phones, I'm going to read Psalm 139 for us. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So the first wonderful truth that we learn about God in this psalm is that he knows everything there is to know. David says in verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. God knows our habits, when I sit and when I rise, our thoughts and our patterns of behavior, such as when we sleep. He even knows what I don't yet know. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. David accepts that God knows all his ways. There is nothing about my past, present or future self that God doesn't know. We are not a surprise to him. But for many of us, we actually live like we believe the opposite. That somehow we are too complex or too unpredictable for God to keep up with us. As if God is hanging out in heaven, looking down on me fondly. But then he sees, my, sees me stub my toe and swear. And he's so shocked that he spits tea out all over Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes in. He's like, she said, what? But by pretending to ourselves that we can somehow censor our feelings or behavior before God. We are falling into the trap of minimizing him into a more comfortable, less powerful reflection of ourselves. We are not a surprise to God. And as human beings, we are actually incredibly limited. We don't know everything about ourselves or about other people. We don't know everything about the world. And I wonder what you would pick as your mastermind specialist subject... I would probably pick friends' quotes. But the person in the world who knows more quotes even than me, who holds the most knowledge of all, the person with the lowest point the score or the best pub quiz record, knows nothing in comparison to God. And verse 6 says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And in verses 17 to 18 we read, how precious are your thoughts god how vast is the sum of them were i to count them they would outnumber the grains of sand and probably you will join me in saying that you've never tried counting individual grains of sand but some guy on the internet worked out how many grains were in a single teaspoon and he estimated that there are roughly 7 quintillion 500 quadrillion grains of sand in the world which is an unfathomable number Um, So David is making the point of telling us that God has even more thoughts than this. So he really knows everything about me. And I think we instinctively respond to this in one of two ways. For some of us, it makes us feel safe and loved to know that God knows us so intimately. That the God of the universe cares about what I am thinking and feeling. But for others, we might find it a bit unsettling. David says in verse 5 that you hem me in behind and before. We cannot escape from the reality of God's deep understanding and knowledge of us. And perhaps that fills you with comfort. Or perhaps it makes you feel exposed and vulnerable. And I think we're meant to feel a little of both of these when we're facing this immensely powerful divine mind so different to our own. The story of the fall in Genesis 3 shows us what happens when we try to hide ourselves from God. When Adam and Eve try to gain knowledge which should only belong to God, they feel shame and they hide from him. They do not want to be known by him because to be fully known by God means that he would know not just the good stuff but the bad stuff too. The shameful and the painful parts. And when God comes back into the garden... Adam and Eve hide, and God asks, Where are you? And he knows, of course, how painful it must have been to have known in advance that his beloved creations would try to hide themselves from him. But in contrast, David, the author of this psalm, doesn't hide himself from God. And we know that David led a checkered life. He was a great man, but also a man who committed great sins. And let's remind ourselves of his story from 2 Samuel. So David sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who is the wife of another man. He is overcome with lust, sleeps with her, and subsequently has her husband killed so that he can cover up the fact that Bathsheba is pregnant and take her as his own wife. So his sins included adultery and murder, which in my book are two pretty big bad sins. David had plenty which he probably was tempted to hide from God. But after confessing his sins and accepting the consequences of them, we read again in 2 Samuel that he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Despite his mistakes, David is described by God as a man after his own heart and is remembered as someone who enjoyed extraordinary intimacy with God. We think of him as one of the heroes of the faith, not because he led a sinless life, but because he pursued closeness with God. So just like David, we can humbly embrace the fact that God knows everything about us, the good stuff as well as the bad. And we can rejoice that despite our shortcomings, God still wants to know us. This level of intimacy, And transparency might feel a little scary, but it's what we were designed for. So the second truth that we learn about God in this psalm is that he is everywhere at once. His consciousness is not limited to a body like us. So in verses 7 to 10, David asks, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And it's tempting to read these verses purely as poetry, thinking that when we get into the hard situations of life, the muck and the mud of our daily work and worries and disappointments, That God will not abandon us. And this is true. But David is not speaking out of sentiment. He is actually making a deeper, plainer point that God is literally everywhere at once. So, what does this actually mean? It means that his spirit and his presence are in all places at all times, which means that he's in Scotland, and he's also in Australia, and he's also at the bottom of the ocean, and he's also in the night sky all at once. And it's important to note that God's omnipresence, his ability to be everywhere at once, is not the same as believing that God is all things, which is quite a different philosophy, which states that the creator, God, and the created things, us and the world, are one and the same. So this would mean that this microphone is God, and that the clouds are God, and that I am God. But rather, this psalm is proclaiming a God who is distinct from what he has made, yet totally invested and present in the world that he loves. He chooses to be with us because he loves us. David says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So God is personal. He chooses to be with us always because he cares for us. And we can add a further dimension to this understanding of God when we consider Jesus' teachings about the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we believe that when we accept that Jesus is Lord of our lives, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3:16, Paul says, "Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple?" and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. So we can be confident that there is no place, either within ourselves or within the world, where God's spirit will not be. And this is important because he is with us whether we feel like it or not. In verses 11 to 12, David says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So God is with us in the world, and he is also with us within ourselves. And although we can grasp this just about at a head level, it can be hard to grasp it at a heart level, especially when we go through a time of darkness where we feel that God isn't there. So that situation for me is uh, the broken relationship that I have with my dad um, and I'm still waiting for God to break into that relationship I've been waiting for about 10 years um, and so I can say that honestly I can't see the way that God is present in that relationship I'm still waiting for change but I can take comfort from these verses that that doesn't mean that God isn't there The psalm says that darkness is as light to God. This means that he does not experience the world in the same way that we do. He is present in ways that I cannot see or understand. So for me, it's a great comfort to know that I am never alone. And I'm never left to navigate the dark times by myself. And I've wrestled with God over my dad's stuff for a long time. And it's during these times of darkness that I most need to remember that God is there even if it doesn't feel like it. It's in his nature to be there. And I wonder what that dark situation is for you. So we've read that God knows me and we've also read that God is with me and the third wonder bringing truth that we learn about God in this psalm is that he is the author of life he created me we read these famous verses in in verses 13 to 16 for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful I know that full well My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So David is revealing to us that in some mysterious way, our lives have been pre-imagined by God. And he uses the poetic language of the Psalms to paint us a beautiful picture of God weaving his life together with care and patience. And this echoes what we read in the creation story, again in Genesis, that the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So we know that our lives have, in some mysterious and beautiful way, been willed into existence by God. David is attributing his birth to God rather than to biology or to his parents or to coincidence. He is giving God the glory for his existence. He is saying that it is only through God's creative power that he exists. When David says, Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He is not patting himself on the back, saying, Aren't I a wonderful work of God? He is saying that he has experienced God's goodness in his life and in the world. And for that, God deserves all the glory. But of course, my instinct is to read these verses with a me, me, me agenda. When David says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want to know what those days will look like. Where am I going to work? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What am I meant to do? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Know the answer to that one. (laughs) Um, What am I meant to do with my life? And gaining answers to these big questions would make me feel more comfortable and in control. Like asking a magic eight ball and hoping that you don't get the answer, ask again later. But if we're focusing on these questions and not on God, then we're missing the point. David is not promising that God will give us these answers. He is giving God the glory for his life up to that point and telling us that he trusts God to guide him in the future. He is telling us how amazing God is, and if we're not careful, we can so easily miss that. It's so easy and natural for us to go to the Bible looking for answers which feed our need to feel in control. But actually, we should be going to the Bible to look for God. So, we've learned that God is incredibly powerful, but also incredibly relational. He knows all things, but He also knows me intimately. He is everywhere at once, but He is also with me personally, from the beginning to the end of my days. So, how are we to respond to this all knowing, all present, immeasurable, uncreated? incredibly powerful god just as david did in this psalm with joyful reverential worship and going back to that famous verse it's so easy to miss the beginning which says i praise you because i'm fearfully and wonderfully made i praise you david has spent the whole psalm talking about god not himself And this verse is no different. This psalm is not about making me feel good. It's not really about me at all. The conclusion that David comes to, and that we should come to as well, is that God alone is worthy of our worship. This verse isn't intended to build self-esteem, although obviously God loves self-esteem. It's a verse to build humility in us and to praise God. And again in that famous verse, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We read that God praises God because he is wonderful. But he also praises God because he is fearful. And what does it mean that God is fearful? It doesn't mean that he's scary. It doesn't mean that he's untrustworthy. David here actually uses fearful in a positive way to convey a healthy, awe inspired respect for God and it means that David takes God seriously that a big part of David's worship is taking God seriously he hates it when God is not respected in verse 22 David says do I not hate those who hate you Lord and abhor those who are in rebellion against you and that sounds so extreme to us But what the psalm is telling us is that David is radically committed to glorifying God at all times and at all costs. And perhaps a question that we can ask of ourselves is, are we? Are we radically committed to glorifying this amazing, amazing God? And if I don't feel as exuberant as David, or if I don't feel myself responding to God with praise... Then why? And in the final verses of the psalm, David returns to his original plea. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is our opportunity to return to God in fear and in wonder and confess our hearts to him. David is responding to the greatness of God with a desperation to see him glorified in the world and for David himself to become completely submitted to God. But this is a process. It's a call to die to yourself daily, to deny our natural self-concern, self-preoccupation, And instead, lift our eyes to the one and only God. The one who is both fearful and wonderful. So if I can invite Pete back up. Thank you. We're going to do exactly as David did. We're going to worship. And Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we don't always grasp how wonderful you are. Show us what's stopping us from being wholeheartedly and joyfully worshipful of you like David is. Show us why we're not inclined to praise or acknowledge you. Teach us how to read the Bible looking for you, looking for your love for us. Teach us how to read it in a way not to make ourselves feel good, but to find you, Lord. Help us to deny anything which gets in the way of our worship. Search us and know our hearts, God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard Sixty One speakers.